0: Empowered Health, a podcast shedding light on how healing is an inside job. Keys to your inner power and total transformation. Discussing wholeness, wellness, and the effects of the mind on the physical and energetic parts of our being. A podcast to support you, moving from fear and pain into wellness and purpose. Belief, hope, connection, energetic keystones for transformation and inner power. Sacred knowledge that inspires us to look within, to find our own unique path. Empowered health, release and rewire to become what you truly are, strong, whole, and empowered. Welcome
1: to the Empowered Mind, Empowered Health podcast. The keys to empowered and heart-aligned living for the Conscious Game Changers with Dr. Jane. Today we have Masha Block. Dr. Block is the author of The Revolution of Naturopathic Medicine, Remaining True to Our Philosophy. He is introducing the V Dialogue, a book about a breakthrough healing method uniting the worlds of mind-body medicine and psychology. He graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine and went on to complete the homeopathic clinician course with Liv Klein. He teaches the wisdom and knowledge that helped heal him and others in his holistic counseling course for NDS. Dr. Block, welcome. And I understand you've recovered from quite a serious autoimmune disease, which has led you to what you teach today, your counseling, and a lot about mind-body medicine. So can we start there? That sounds like a great place.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. So, so nice to be, to be on your, your show. Um, so yeah, 20, let me see, 25 years ago, 25 years ago, I, I first started to develop symptoms of myasthenia gravis. I was very sick. I had severe paralysis of my triceps. I, I couldn't even barely get out of chair. You know, I could go on and on about the symptoms, but they were pretty severe. And, um, I went to this, this retreat called the Options Institute. It's in Massachusetts. It's led by Barry Neal Kaufman and Samaria Kaufman. And they, they had a child who was autistic in the seventies and they, there's this, um, there's this whole series of amazing um, revelations that came from their work called sunrise, the miracle, like their child went from autistic to completely recovered with this, technique of simply sitting and mirroring the, the child, just to mirror, like not, not try to, at the time in the 70s, they were tying up children, they were sticking them in the closet, they were chaining them to these bedposts. It was horrible for autistic kids. Yeah. Um, so their child became completely healed and then they developed this, um, this uh, sort of um, you know, movement or organization where they, they taught people how to um, understand belief systems. So I was there and in the first half an hour, of this program that I took my life was changed to understand the concept of, of a belief system. Uh, such a powerful concept yet something that was a little bit beyond my awareness. And then I had an actual dialogue done where I was being asked questions, simple questions to you know, get me thinking and going deeper. And I encountered this, um, my own belief system, which is that I needed to be perfect that was the belief now when i say belief i literally believed that i needed to be perfect in order to be good right and the next question was the life changing question like what makes you think you need to be you need to be perfect and then the the answer came to me spontaneously that doesn't always happen with my patients or when we work but in in my case and in some cases it does and the answer was Holy smokes, I don't, but I never thought about it before. I never, I never put my mind to that before. And I had a spontaneous healing. I felt the chi, you know, the life force, the pranic, the strength, the blood flow into my arms. My eyes open up, my breathing open up, my legs lighten up, and I had a spontaneous healing. And I really, in that experience, I think I got what I needed for the years to come in, in teaching what I teach my medicine, um, understanding how our beliefs are the source of our illness or our stress or our problem. And then they manifest chronically into physical disease. And I, I, I even teach about how that, that cascade happens through the different systems of the body. Um, but that, that gave me the, the, the confidence or the, the, the faith to go the long run with developing the course and develop and coming to understand mind, body medicine better.
1: Well, yeah, that's, that's amazing. And it's interesting. You must have held such tension from that belief. And it was a core belief probably in your subconscious where it doesn't like, you know, readily reveal itself, but just becoming aware of it changed everything.
2: It changed everything. The te- there wasn't just tension. There was also like self hatred. There was self abuse. Mm. Like if if I believe it's kind of math, you know, belief systems are kind of mathematical. If X then Y kind of thing. If if I need to be perfect and I judge myself as having done something that's not perfect, then along comes stupid, 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 beating myself up. And this is where I kind of came to understand or really see for myself, the idea that the body is a reflection of the mind, that the belief was, you know, bad, you're bad because you're not perfect. That's another, that's like the second, that's like the, the, the other side of the coin is like, you're bad or you, you, you're, 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 you should hate yourself or that. That's what followed the belief that I'm not perfect or I need to be perfect. And then came the body reflecting that attack of the self which I've seen in, I'd say, a large majority of my uh, um, autoimmune diseases uh, that I work with, people that have autoimmune disease, that they have some form of hatred of self and attacking of themselves. So then the immune system says, hey, we're in the business. The the body says we're in the business of attacking itself. And the the soldiers that are there normally for defense turn against the self and you see some kind of self-attack with the autoimmune. The immune system.
1: Exactly. I often talk with like with patients about homeopathy how their their physical symptoms are a mirror of what's going on in their mind. So that's why we always go into what's happening in their mind. And so that's good for you. Beautiful. Yeah. So tell us just so because some people don't know what myasthenia gravis is. Yeah. Can you just it's, elaborate?
2: It's a rare ish. I say ish, because it's become less rare uh, autoimmune disease where the immune cells, the white blood cells attack the junction between the nerves uh, sending signals from the brain to the, mus- the muscles receiving those signals and then contracting. So the immune, the immune cells get all over the receptors of the muscles so that the, the messages can't get there and it leads to paralysis and they called it gravis, which means serious in Latin, which because it could lead to death from paralysis of the um the diaphragm.
1: Right. Yeah, so it checks the breathing and swallowing and everything eventually. Yeah, yeah all
2: that's all it serious. can attack all voluntary muscle. Right. Yeah.
1: Okay. And so tell us more about your technique with mind body. You said you can explain the cascade that happens.
2: Yeah, that's right. So um, I, I look at so there's, you know, in, in yoga and, and these different cosmologies like Kabbalah and acupuncture, you know, Chinese medicine, that establishes that we're multi dimensional beings. And this, of course, in naturopathic medicine, we acknowledge too that it, there's general, in simple terms, that we are soul slash spirit level. And then we have the mind level, then the emotional level, and then the physical level. So in my understanding, when there's a choice, like our true nature, this is the foundation of, of holistic counseling that I teach. Our true nature is, is I am. It's pure consciousness. It's unconditionally okay. It's It doesn't need anything. It's not attached to anything because its okayness is inherent in the beingness of who we really are. And that is where we're all aspiring to return to, I put in quotations, you can't see my little fingers going like this, but I have, I have quotations going because we're not really returning to anywhere because we've always been there, but we've just gotten really confused and and misidentified with other aspects of our ego that we think is, are really important. So here you have the I am, which is the foundation of our truth. And then, then the mind is at a lower level. When the mind is in a state of wisdom, it's in flux and in flow with the I am. But when it starts to latch onto something, a condition, I need this to be happy, I need to be perfect, or I need to be rich, or I need to be uh, lo- even loved. That's a condition too. I need to be loved. It's a condition it starts to grab on and the flow of chi will start to become blocked lower level which is the vital force uh, which is closely related to the emotional field. So the emotional field will start to get involved in this false belief the the cascade of the waterfall that descends from the unconditionality of, of the soul, say we could call it that starts to starts to, to become strangulated in the belief that, that that the person is holding on to defining, that they need for their reality. So then the emotion will, will will dry up or seize up or freeze up or overheat or whatever in reflection of whatever the belief is. And then the body will be the last part of the cascade to not be nourished by the nurturing supply of chi or, or prana or energy. And then, um, Yeah. And then it'll, it'll either, you know, become rigid or too lax. And it depends on what the belief is. It reflects the belief.
1: Right. Perfect. So I always, like I see it as when the unconscious belief is canceled out, there's a return to an alignment, which allows you to be in touch with who you truly are or your higher self. And you're, you're calling it the, I am, which we all are part
2: of yes yeah yes and i am i mean it, it's been called many things you know it's been called atman in 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 uh, yogic uh, vedic hindu philosophy it's called yahweh and judaism and christ and you know there's lots of different expressions for that uh it is a unifying principle and i think that when when we heal we ultimately become more aligned with that true self and things become a lot more uh, harmonious and peaceful. And and we you know our con- contribution to society is one of uh, edifying and building and harmonizing rather than causing chaos and destruction and, and ignorance and stuff like
1: that. Right. So just to be aware that this can happen is is empowering. And how do you get people to be aware of their core that this belief that is causing so much trouble and in their physical?
2: Uh, Well, usually a person, you know, as an, as a practitioner, as a naturopathic doctor, somebody will come to me with uh, an ailment, their suffering. So it's through the suffering. I actually really, I, I, this is a funny statement, but I actually really appreciate suffering. Yeah, um, because suffering makes a person look for answers. So they're, they're suffering. it could be emotional suffering, mental suffering, and also physical suffering. It could be a lack of energy, um, pain, whatever it is. That suffering is, is a message from the, the, the inner being that something is off, because it's unmistakable. A person that is not living in harmony with the self ultimately has to have some sign that they're not living in harmony even though we can really live for quite some time disconnected from our true self and be in that illusionary world and live quote unquote happily we could live happily there happily ignorantly but at some point when the soul i don't know how this is determined but the soul decides all right suffering is going to come now to bring some change so so then the person sits down, figuratively, in, in, in front of me. We, we work together, ask them questions. We start with the pathology. The, 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 the worst point of suffering is the, the channel to the greatest release. How are you feeling? What is that like? When did that start? The, you know the, the, It's very similar in, in, in many ways to a good homeopathic intake you know, you know, Jim Sensenig, you know, Dr. Jim Sensenig, he was, he's a big vitalist from the U S who passed on just last year. He started the movement uh, along with a couple of others like Jared Zeff and Letitia Dick Cronenberg. Um, so they, they started the vitalist organization naturopathic medicine Institute. So all that mouthful, just to say that Jim, Dr. Dr. Sensenig used to say, the truth is the truth is the truth. And so when I'm when I'm working, and I also I totally love homeopathy too, and I'm, I'm I practice heavily with homeopathy, and I know I see that the homeopathic intake and also the belief they working with the beliefs that work so well together, the two work so well together. Um, so that's that's one way that I help people. Another way is I'm I'm also training practitioners. To heal themselves, to learn to embody the letting go state of the I am, in practice in their lives, and then they can then help um, their patients or their clients or whatever they might call them.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And so, when you teach, what are some of the principles?
2: Well, funny enough, I actually teach the principles of naturopathic medicine. Yeah, because I like because. They are there for a reason. You know, a lot of the, the, the colleges um, pay them lip service, but they're not really being shared much anymore. There's not really the medicines that are really embodying them, although homeopathy does actually embody the principles of, you know, treat the whole person, treat the underlying cause. You know, doctor is teacher through the remedy. The remedy becomes a teacher. You know, treat the whole person. So, um, that's that's kind of what I see. Um, I kind of lost my train of thought. Where was I at the beginning of that part?
1: Well, you were talking about how naturopathic principles are part of what you teach and treat the whole person and-
2: Yes. Yeah, so I teach, I, I, I absolutely use those principles, it, you know, we, we go through it in, in, in the beginning and I, I, I share the connection between the mind and the body and how pathology develops from false beliefs. I also use this principle, which I understand is very, it's a very universal, I'm going to call it a universal truth uh, that you see when you study Zen when you study Taoism, when you study Buddhism or yoga, or really even in, in mystical Christianity and mystical Judaism and Kabbalah, you see this idea that who we really are is the, I am it's beyond definition. It's beyond attachment and it's, so, so when I'm working with someone, I'm really just sitting with a, a person who is embodied, the soul is embodied in, in, their, in their ego, in their body with all these stories and all this suffering and pain is just to help them remember and return to this awareness that who they are is beyond the definition that they've attached themselves to. It's an effortless place. It's a release into, it's a falling back into, instead of something that is effortful. So I definitely work with that principle of letting go into what we already are rather than needing to do something, right? Like the, the idea, you know, sometimes when I work with a patient and they've gotten a really good dialogue, they're, re- they feel they're in that moment, they're very released. If if at that point, Jane, I, I recommend something like, oh, and I really see the remedy, whatever thuya or metarina, or whatever. I right? I really see that for you. Then I, I I watch their eyes gloss over, and they lose that place of connection with the truth that they are beyond their the definition, and then they externalize the healing to the substance, and. I work with homeopathy when people are stuck, but when they've moved past the belief and they're in their I am, sometimes we lose touch just by suggesting anything because that suggests you need this to be healthy, to be well, right? And then they they identify, they attach to that. So that's that's an important point too.
1: Yeah, beautiful. Well, I think today that we give away so much of our power to something else. And this taking it back in this way is so beautiful because we all have that innate wisdom to know how to heal and let go and be powerful, so.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, incredible. I so agree. And in fact, if there is a lesson to all of the the pandemic, it is it is that that we need to trust ourselves. We need to listen to ourselves. And if we're not sure about how to do that, well, it's it's time to get learning. It's time to um, sort that out. To take some chances. To trust your gut. You know, everybody's intuitive. Even even like I I, I hate to stereotype anybody, but even like a real kind of shut down person who. I don't know, smokes all day and watches TV and kicks the dog and shouts and yells and totally out of touch with their self, they have strong intuition, but they don't necessarily know when the intuition is speaking versus when the desires or their pain or their woundedness is is trying to steer the wheel, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's about learning how to listen. Yeah. Yeah and where it comes from so how would you describe that yeah pardon me how do you describe listening to your intuition like how do you
2: what's like a gut feeling it's like this this it's like a sense of it's like a push like and also one of the ways is pretty simple and i and i think a lot of people appreciate this because it simplifies the idea of intuition like some people think you know you got to get in yogic posture and roll your eyes back in your head and like and then the intuition comes, but it's not like that. Sometimes it's as simple as what you really feel like you want, that's it. And, and I don't mean, now we need to discern a little bit between what, what we want with our heart and what we desire, what we desire uh, based in attachment and need. So I can say, oh, I really want, um, let's say to be respected. But if I really look at that a little closer, well, it's more like I need it because I feel like, well, I'm insecure and I need that respect because then that's going to make me feel better about myself. That's not what I mean by trusting intuition. It's the feeling of like, I really feel like I want to put on some music and dance a little bit. I really feel like it's, it's like a feeling that comes with a sense of joy about it. It's, it's a lightness. It's not burdened by need or attachment or a belief, uh, right? I feel really drawn to that person. I, I wanna talk to them. When you trust that, things really unfold, um, you know, in in a way which is healing and, and exciting, also, I think.
1: Yeah, and there is that connection to the heart. That There's that connection there. to
2: the heart, yes. That's
1: very important. Yes. So. How, you know, I often contemplate how fear and, you know, even fear of disease or dying can really control our actions and almost take over. Can you, can, cause it's, it's the opposite, right?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just talk about that, how that influences us. Uh, And there we almost give away our power
2: oh 100% when you're when you're afraid of anything um, well spe- fear is like the ultimate fear death the fear of death is the ultimate fear that there's this fear like of the loss of the self which is based on the false belief that we are the manifested body that we're living in and the emotional field that we've grown in and that the mental ideas that we've constructed all these things are very temporary so really the the fear of death is the fear of not existing as that thing that we've identified as being and again it comes back to the i am the i am is is the permanent state of the infinite you know in in the judeo christian uh, the the statement is something along the lines of that God is was, and shall always be that's the permanent state of who we really are and when we really realize who we really are there's there's no fear of death, sure, you look like you don't want to walk in a in a you know off a cliff or there's a hungry lion around there's still caution of preservation of this vessel, which is a blessing to live in <laughs> um, but we we the the fear drops really drops and you know what's interesting—the fear of death can subconsciously drive a person to really avoid and to be in control and whatever that may, may be. But it's also the fear of the loss of control that comes at the state stage of enlightenment. The two are the same, because for a soul, you, me, uh, I, I, you know, in a way, that's a misnomer, because the soul, you know, there's in cells, but then the soul is the unified field. So to say a soul is a bit of a misnomer, like the language is limited, but for each of us, as we remember who we really are, there is that awareness that this thing that I identify, you know, me, Moshe, I'm, I'm this guy. I'm, I, I grew up like this and I love these things and I have these propensities and well, that guy is going to die and no, be no longer. Uh, whether it's through the enlightenment process of willfully recognizing that impermanence and detaching from, and then enjoying, enjoying the ex- experience of that, but not attached to it, or literally at the end of our lives when we die. So either way, we have to let that, we have to let that go. That's why some of the like Shintoism and, and different practices that really focus on death and have death in the forefront of the mind are very, they're, that's very empowering. Because if you're not afraid to die, then you're not afraid of, you don't need to control and you could live a lot more in the heart space.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and thus not be controlled the same because you're right. connected to your own choice.
2: That's a good point, back to your important message about empowerment, uh, exactly, exactly. Right, because if, if somebody's dangling out the fear that you might die so that you might then take on another, a solution to avoid the fear, that's susceptible, that makes you susceptible to that influence, whatever that influence is. And if it's not a good influence, well, then that's good not to be afraid of death so that you're not um, tempted to think that you need that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very good. And there's a sense of contraction in your body as soon as you go into fear and a panic that you need to follow certain protocols and do certain things to survive. And as soon as you center yourself, you know, you go into listening to your intuition and your own heart and what's best for you. So they're very, you, you know, you can feel yourself shift between them.
2: Yeah. Definitely. If you're aware. Yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no. very
1: important. So even even someone that is suddenly diagnosed with, some, with something. Yeah. It sends you into this cascade of fear and, you know, run for your life almost and do whatever I'm told and you lose that connection.
2: Yeah. So many people, when they're diagnosed with something serious like cancer or, I mean, it could even be, could even be strep throat. It could be anything that could have serious complications if it's not dealt with well. It, It, it's what really separate, separates the, the, the practitioners that have faith and the people that have faith in the healing. And this is not a blind faith. This is not a throwing caution to the wind and like, you know, <laughs> jumping off the cliff blindly. It's actually knowing that the modalities that we have and the healing power of nature, which is, which is what we really um, identify with in homeopathy and naturopathic medicines, the vital force, it really can heal. It really can and it's some practitioners when they themselves are challenged and and I don't want this to be judgmental i'm just trying to make a point but they will they will opt for the path of fear and it's not that the path of fear is actually there's any security there but there's a strong belief that the conventional path say the path that 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 has identified itself as being the authority of 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 medicine you know on our planet that's right you know that's what it's convinced humanity about and if you look at the history over a hundred years ago that 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 agenda that purpose to convince humanity that the the conventional medical model is the only true and scientific model it's all based on this coercion And the idea that if you repeat something enough, people will believe it. Well, that's been repeated so many times that people believe so much in conventional medicine that they will, when they're faced with their moment in their health, they will feel that that's what they need to do. And, you know, sometimes that works, but very Mm -hmm. often, it and it might work, but it also has dire consequences like the destruction of one's health even if you 're sick, you still have a vital energy, so you destroy your vital health um, and and then often it doesn 't work, but they still put their faith in it and are afraid to step out of that you know i had I had a discussion with Dr. Andre Sain a few days ago and I mean this man is just amazing his his track record and his awareness of how effective homeopathy is, and our different naturopathic medicine modalities they're so effective but You know the the narrative that has gone on is really undermined that awareness so that even naturopathic students they're afraid when they graduate if they get a case of strep throat or pneumonia or something that's that could be potentially dangerous you know there is potential there they don't want to touch it you know they're going to refer if they can prescribe drugs they're going to give the antibiotic and Man, you know, Andre's like, no, these things are quite easy to 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 deal with if you know what you're doing. So we need our elders, you know, we need our elders that have these experience that this experience to come back into our profession, uh, because there's been a systematic um, removal of our elders from from the colleges for the most part.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And well, and there I mean there are times for this type of medicine if you're in an emergency and you can't you have no alternative. But to yeah. weigh the consequences, to know that it's going to affect your immune system in a certain way. And you're going to have to make that up as well if you're going to truly heal, you know, but to weigh everything, not just follow blindly, I think is really important. And then to find yeah. someone that can help you lead you out of that, but empower you, right? To, yeah. to truly heal from, like you say, they're all a signpost of what's going on on a, a mental, emotional level.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I agree with you. The more acute that something is, the more heroic the measures that are required to bring it into balance. And, and, and conventional medicine does offer, I think in, in quite a few instances, the best solution when it comes to emergency medicine. Now we do have tools at our fingertips for dealing with acute disease that we can, but when, it, when, when the acute situation, it doesn't matter so much how we do, we just wanna bring that, we wanna quell that, if, if it's life-threatening, because the, our first principle, just like in conventional medicine is do no harm, first do no harm. But for chronic illness, you know, chronic illness, That's when, you know, if the person has a little bit of time, that's when you really want to work the the path of, of understanding that that person is sick for a reason. The reason that they're sick has a lot to do with where they're stuck in the evolution of their self back to their true nature. And so there's an opportunity there to not only heal, but also to grow in the direction that I believe we're all meant and actually evolving toward. So to just in a chronic case to say, Oh, let's just, let's just deal with the symptoms. Let's, let's help this person heal. Even if it's through the systems based approach, functional medicine, you know, we could, we could come up with clever ways to resolve the manifestation of symptoms. Well, the person might be missing, the, the, missing a, a very important lesson there, which they probably will have to repeat at some point.
1: Yeah, right? Because it's like it's, it could be seen as a gift. And if you go into it, then you can grow from it. Yes. But if you, if you choose to cover it up and not address it really, then you've lost the opportunity.
2: Yeah, that's right. And there's a, you know, most people look for the truth when they suffer. If you can help alleviate their suffering without healing it at the root of the suffering, then I, I do believe in some cases, I don't want to say all the time, but there's a certain disservice there to that person because um, there's an opportunity to really understand themselves better and to be a better person in their own Know, in their own self uh versus you know like let's say a person has a very strong belief system and then they get symptoms of disease because of that and then you just kind of work at the symptoms level and the suffering is alleviated well now that person's belief hasn't changed in fact it it is it's it grows in strength and size yeah yeah it, it will manifest again it yeah. will
1: yeah, thus the need for stronger, you know, medicine to cover it up and work with it even more. Yeah.
2: That's right. That's right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So we would encourage looking inside. Yeah. Now you've written a book about naturopathic principles. And I think that's wonderful to talk about because few understand the true principles of naturopathic medicine.
2: Yeah. Uh, sure. I mean, I wrote uh, the the first book I ever published was in two thousand and four. It was called The Revolution of Naturopathic Medicine, and the subtitle is remaining true to our philosophy. You know, I in CCNM, uh, the Canadian College in Toronto of Naturopathic Medicine was it was it was a good school. There was a lot of really uh, good education at the time. Uh, But still there was um, this identity crisis that existed in the profession at that that time Now I'd say it's much worse. It's gotten much worse Uh, But then there was some still, you know, the light was shining in the profession a little bit more and um, But there was a frustration in myself for four years of wanting to learn the real principles you know, you got smatterings of it in homeopathy, you got smatterings of it in, in uh, Chinese medicine. In counseling, you, you maybe got a little bit of a hint of it. Um, but then it was just really getting shouldered out by this great need of naturopathic medicine to kind of emulate the conventional medical model but with, you know, supplements instead of drugs. So it's green allopathy as, as I'm sure you know the term and many people know the term. So I, um, I just felt compelled to write the book. And I got into like, I, for, for seven days, I was six or seven days, I got into a very, just meditated. I got into a state and I wrote all day long for seven days, and then I got it all out of my system. Uh, of course, I had to go back and edit it, but I got everything down and I, that I wanted to express, and that's in the book, The Revolution of Naturopathic Medicine. I recently, in a few years ago, I published um, my second book in naturopathic principles. It's called Holistic Counseling, Introducing the Wyss Dialogue. And the Wyss Dialogue is the dialogue that I teach practitioners how to ask questions to get to the root cause, and not just to to reveal it, but then to help a person see all the little tendrils and roots that 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 belief is attached to. Because the revelation of the belief is just the beginning. Sometimes it leads to a spontaneous healing, but most of the time the person is attached to it because their survival depends upon it. And so they really, you know, they identify with this belief strongly. And so the, the, the rest of the course is designed for, and the book, the book also addresses these things, how to help a person unravel and then to uh, unchoose or to choose their true nature rather than being uh, attached to it.
1: Yeah, I am, I am quite like-minded. I, I understand the need for supplements to support the physical, but I feel it's secondary. I feel that the core problem is usually a mental, emotional, unless it's, you know, an extremely toxic situation. Someone's yeah. been, you know, poisoned by toxicity. And yeah. that, that as well often has a mental, emotional component as well, because the body's not able to cast off, you know, the toxins. But I've always felt how can we heal if we haven't got to the root cause, which is often mental, emotional.
0: So yeah, I
1: completely resonate with what you're saying and how mind-body medicine is so important. And for me, it's been homeopathy, but you're, you're yeah. taking it even, you know, a step beyond or using the two in conjunction. Definitely. But I, yeah, I think it's, I don't understand how we can just, because you can spend hundreds of dollars on supplements and as soon as you go off, it returns like.
2: Yeah. Or they do nothing.
1: Or they, or they do nothing, nothing.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know what, I, I, have, I have a respect for, the, for allopathy, for mm-hmm. the allopathic path of giving something for symptoms because sometimes we need that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the person is so depressed that you cannot access them to have a dialogue. You're not really certain in the moment for what remedy to give them or whatever. They don't have access to that. They're not going to that. And they need a little bit support. They're drowning in, in their sorrow and their depression and a little antidepressant, not necessarily pharmaceutical possibly, but you know, naturopathic supplement or something could be very helpful. could be what they need. But then when, when in the general state, general cases, uh, there is a lot of lot more wiggle room than that. And that's when we want to do the, the big healing, you know, what you said about toxicity is interesting. I, ha- I have my own personal experience. Like I had two bouts of illness. I had one 25 years ago, and then one five years ago. When I had, I went to a deep, different quantum level in my in in the subconscious, a manifestation of disease. So it was when I found out I was to be a father. Oh Lordy, that brought up a lot of stuff, and. <laughs> one of the things that happened was that I, um, I became quite poisoned um, uh, because I was careless and I was valuing, like one, one of my things, another belief or attachment is to this path of, of spiritual enlightenment. And so I, I, I so thought that my life is over and my desire to achieve spiritual enlightenment is so over because now here I am going to be a father, and I'm going to have to this responsibility. And I really this was this was a big false belief that mm-hmm. I encountered that that the suffering. I mean, it came on another another bout of illness, but at a deeper level, it looked different. Um, but I became highly toxic because I was working. I work in alchemy. I actually studied and practiced alchemy for many years, and I was careless because I wanted, as a means of you know, enlightenment, alchemy and so what, throw caution to the wind and use antimony and I got so poisoned. Now the antimony was stuck inside of me and I was, my vital force was so um, affected by it that I couldn't operate and even access my own mental field until I understood how I had thrown caution to the wind because I desired enlightenment, which is an externalization, even though that's it's kind of a noble path, to believe that you need something or you need this path to be enlightened, it's, it's a very subtle paradox of, of enlightenment is that we already are that. So it's, a matter, it's not a matter of doing something, but I, I so identified with needing to do something that I thought that as a father, that's it, my life's over, no chance. So until, until I understood that, the antimony was frozen inside of me, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So I needed to recognize my, my lack of self-care and my almost like a desperate attempt to get that. Then I felt this sense of shift and then the antimony could dump out of my system. Right. so that still even with poisoning it like exactly what you said it can still go hand in hand with some belief and attachment
1: yeah yeah, yeah. so so interesting about even an attachment to enlightenment yes that's like such an interesting conversation because it, there's a, almost has to be a surrender to life right you know? and and kids bring that don't they there's yes. like they yes. pull you almost out of were completely out of where you were or what you could be and you have to reinvent yourself and so there's this surrender
0: yeah
2: yeah (laughs) and also being there for to live for someone else like yeah yeah yeah. there's a very there's a kind of narcissism in in this pursuit of enlightenment i know it sounds crazy but definitely i could speak for myself i felt very attached to that Yeah. yeah and and um my children have shown me that uh, what's really important is, is the surrender of the self. Like whether it's at the end of our life, like we said before, and you die, that self is going away. Bye-bye. Not the true self, but the, the, the manifest self that we identify with. Or you do it through enlightenment or through children or through some path of service where the self is surrendered in that service. We, you know, I was really, really uh, attached to the, the. it was an egoic pursuit of enlightenment, which is really, oxy, it's oxymoronic. <laughs> you know, egoic pursuit of, of enlightenment. No, sorry. No.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there such a surrender to having kids. And mine got a little bit older and then I got five horses. And that requires another service and you know whenever I've been in my deepest depressions we can talk about this because um Mm -hmm. I have found just surrendering and asking the universe how can I help has pulled me out of every really difficult dark place I've ever been and showed me like I'll get filled with a love energy and the next door will open like it's Mm -hmm it's so crazy and it's always it's always about service like it's always about how can i help and even when when you know you have to get up at seven every morning and look after horses or children or it is service you know yeah yeah
2: yeah it's stepping out of the self like we i think a true master is has this sense of i'm okay I don't need anything for myself because I'm okay. I don't sure. Okay, I could, the body feels hungry, so I'll eat that food. But if I don't have it now, or I have it in a few, I'm okay. Uh, so I can be focused. Like the sun is in a state of constant giving. The sun is always radiating light. It doesn't think of oh, I need to replenish myself, or the the where we're actually going, and and the the path there, like you just described, is one of of surrender. Of surrender of the self, and you know my ego fights with that a lot because it wants to be present and and in in control, and it wants to be the one that gets the credit, or it, it does it wants all kinds of stuff. And yeah. you know, it, it, I I really appreciate you telling you know saying that about your your depression, and you know, naturopaths are human too, and we we suffer mm-hmm. too. In fact, some suffer a lot. And yet, there is a thing in our profession where you have to have this, you know, the, the persona and the image of having it all together. And I, I don't think that that's, I don't think you want to like break down and start blubbering with tears in your practice with somebody who's suffering. But to, to, I don't think naturopaths need to hold the persona of being, you know, that I'm the doctor persona. Yeah. I'm the doctor, <laughs> and I got it all together, you know, so some doctors are very ashamed of themselves if they have an eruption uh eczema or psoriasis or some kind of manifestation of disease. They feel like they shouldn't because they're a doctor, but i don't I think that it's okay for us to be to ha- to be human and to admit that because it it's actually it's actually helpful for our patients to see that for people to see that,
1: yeah. Then, Well, yes. And I think we need to first heal thyself. It's one of our naturopathic principles. But then we're just walking beside someone. We're not, you know, we're not better than we're a guiding system for a period of time until they can take off on their own again. You know, that's how it right. should be seen.
2: Right, and you know there's still there's there's in conventional medicine and in naturopathic medicine you know green allopathy there's the idea that i'm the doctor, I have the knowledge that you don't have, and I'm going to tell you what you need in order to get well because you don't you didn't study these things, and that that works in the model of allopathy because there's knowledge, and the knowledge is the response. the knowledge from the doctor is the thing that helps um whereas the more we get in medicine that is working with the healing power of nature, the more we understand as practitioners exactly what you said, we're just a guide, we're helping a person see, even in holistic counseling or in any kind of counseling, when you're sitting there, you're in a position of, there is an authority there and there is power there. So we have to use the power in the right way and not the wrong way, but the wrong way, in my opinion, would be telling somebody, right in that moment of of vulnerability, what they need to understand. Then it's an allopathic form of counseling. The doctor is providing the solution rather than the solution. This is an important principle of holistic counseling, is that the, the and in homeopathy is that the healing really does be, happen in the person, in the in the patient. And we also pay lip service to that. And then we kind of jump on this bandwagon of like, okay, what do we do for this condition? I'm gonna to go, to, go back to my studies. I'm gonna give something that is known to be good for this condition. Whereas that's not how it should work in, in real healing.
1: Yeah, it should be very individual.
2: Very individual, exactly, which is one of our principles. Treat the individual, each person as an individual. A 100 people with myasthenia gravis, a hundred completely different cases, different beliefs that led to that, different manifestations of the symptoms and different homeopathic remedies, all is very individualized, completely individualized. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Beautiful. So we're nearing the end. We've been together for an hour. This is beautiful. Can you share one more nugget to those that are listening? Maybe, maybe how we should perceive even what's going on right now with this virus and yeah. lockdown about taking back our power.
2: Yeah, well that seems to be, like I said, the manifestation, like, so let, let me put it this way. In chronic illness, a person has a disease for a reason. And it's a good reason even though it's hard to see and it's painful to recognize. The, the alternative to that is to ignore the reason to keep suppressing the symptoms or to just ignore it br- brushing under the cl- the carpet and then to delay the inevitable which we always have to face anyway. So the way I see what's happening on the planet is a manifestation like COVID and and the draconian very strange measures of censorship that were never seen before and like there's some kind of collective enforcement of the loss of health freedoms that we're kind of facing so the way i see this is the humanity is manifesting its illness of externalizing authority saying you have the answer for me. Uh, Health, Health Canada or, or the uh, NIH or the World Health Organization or whatever these organizations of, of medical systems and authority of government, people have externalized to the authority. And that represents a very infantile stage for humanity, in humanity to not be infantile and to trust ourselves to for each individual to say okay wait a minute is this is something non-kosher going on here like is covid really as bad as we think it is do we need these draconian measures do we need to offer up our freedom as a means of combating a situation which really uh, you know might not be any more serious than the flu People have died, yes, but people always die from infectious illness. It's normal. It's a it's a part of our our, our history, and it's uh, it, it's something that we want to we want to deal with. But but there's ways to deal with it too to save lives. Uh, what I'm saying is like we were talking about fear before, not to let the fear of death control us and externalize to these authorities. So I really think that when humanity gets that enough people to constitute the collective reality, say, I don't know. I don't know how much that is. It's like the soup. Right. <laughs> but yeah. when there's enough people that say, you know, no, this no, no, I'm okay. I'm okay, thanks. I'm okay over here. I can handle myself. I don't need you to determine what's right for me. When enough people recognize that, the illness will, will, will heal. It'll spontaneously heal. It's there for a reason. And yeah. funny, because I'm not even referring to the illness of the virus or whatever the heck it is, COVID. I'm talking about the governmental shutdowns and the measures that have been taken as the illness, that's the illness. COVID is part of, you know, whatever it is, the viruses that, that affect us, they're part, they're part of our evolution too. And there's a health, there's a health in, in allowing them to enter into the system, they do their thing, we, we purge, we cough, we, we throw up, we have diarrhea, we, we cleanse, and then we're better for it. Yeah. We're better for it when we, when we go through it in a healthy way. So the illness is the approach to dealing with it, not the, the, the not the virus itself.
1: Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah, and and maybe it is a grand awakening to our own inner power.
2: I amen. I pray that is. I I've, you you could see it. You could see it. You could yeah. see how many people have started to, to scratch away at the, you know, like, like how chickens, they dig, you know, they scratch away at the surface and they start revealing all the, the juicy stuff underneath to see what's really going on. Uh, because uh, we really need to be, we really need to wake up to that, we really do.
1: Yeah, I think the first question should be, why censorship, you know? We've always been allowed freedom of speech and yeah. that, that alone is a huge red flag for me. And makes yeah. me want to look deeper
2: yeah absolutely that, that so the red flag right what is a red flag it's the intuition going say hey something's not right here we got to listen to that we have to listen to those red flags even if it means discomfort and some kind of emotional pain struggle against or you know when you're kind of wrestling out of the cocoon of transformation that's not, that's not that pleasant. There's pain, you know, you gotta unfold those wings. It's painful. We gotta be, we're such a society, I, I, I you know, we're such a society of avoiding pain. We don't, the pain has to be embraced sometimes. It's really the, the wind in your sails for transformation. Uh, so not to, not to expect life to need to be comfortable in every moment. Uh, discomfort is actually really good when when it leads you somewhere better <laughs> than where you are.
1: Yeah. yeah. I love that that it's the wind in your sails. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's how you perceive it as well. And mm-hmm. you know, our perception of it is is part of cocooning out of it.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Block. You have shared so much wisdom today and for everyone out there I want to just remind you don't give away your power to anyone else just go be you and be the wave one hey you have a course coming up and we almost forgot to mention it can you tell tell everyone about that please
2: yeah sure thank you thanks a lot yeah so basically I'm offering the a a full program And I'm calling the Full Certification of Holistic Counseling Mind-Body Medicine Program. Uh, And it starts this Friday. It's the whole weekend. That's part one. It's a four-part process. Part one is the foundations course. Part two is an online course that edifies the foundation. And there's lots of live cases to watch and learn from. Part three is, is the advanced program. And then part four is the mentorship, where I work with the students and practitioners one-on-one to help them wherever they're stuck, wherever they're struggling in the the VIST dialogue. Uh, In addition to that, there's a mentorship, a one-on-one healing process where I work one-on-one personally with people to reveal their own beliefs, and I work with homeopathy to transform that because as, as we heal, we become better mind, body, uh, practitioners for sure. So if anybody's interested in that, they're welcome to, um, go to my website. It's holistic without a W. So H O L I S T I C dash or minus sign counseling with, with one L C O U N S E L I N G dot C A holistic C A, And, um, then you'll be able to see and sign up or ask me any questions. And if you really, you really like the sound of it, but you're not sure, there's a, a three-hour introductory video that you can, you can watch. And um, if you really like to take the course after you get, a, you get a rebate, that basically nullifies the $49 charge for that. So, so it's like a, almost a risk-free thing there.
1: Oh, that's brilliant. I love that kind of learning. And so I would encourage anyone that resonates with that. That's exciting.
2: Thank you and so I'll, much Dr. McCarthy. Yeah.
1: And I'm going to put the links in the write up. So Oh, f- fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much. And that's Bye. coming up
2: pretty soon, so if you're interested, probably want to get on it pretty soon.
1: Okay. Yes. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you too. Thank you too.